Hey, happy St. Patrick's Day movie fans. Dimitri here for Popcorn Talks Anatomy of a Movie, where today we book passage to Kong, Skull Island. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hello, movie fans, and hello, my, my leprechauns for today. How are you? How are things going today? As I mentioned, we are traveling and booking our vacation plans to Kong Skull Island. So to my right, to my right, I believe it's your right too if you're watching. <laughs> and if you're listening, Less. yeah, it doesn't matter. So uh, I have uh, my two great uh, hostesses, hosts, co-hosts. Uh, to the very right, Marissa Serafini, say hello. Hello, everyone. Yes, I'm Marissa Serafini. And I haven't uh, had you on a podcast for a little while. No, it's good to be back Stephanie, with you. Stephanie, say hello. Yeah, it's good to be back with you all. Stephanie Wanger. You can find me on Twitter at Stephanie Wanger. Yeah, how's everybody doing? Good, good. Yeah, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Marissa, Day. Marissa, you know we're in green. I know. I and you're from Chicago. I know. I of failed. all places. They're very St. Patrick's But I'm in L.A., so naturally yeah, I, I didn't think true. about it. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I failed. I'm sorry. Good, good, good. So, uh, well, we are here to talk about Skull Island, uh, Kong Skull Island. And as we open up every show, uh, we always start off with opinions. So I'm going to start off. With you, Marissa? Um, overall, you know, I thought that this was a very fun, entertaining film. I, and admittedly, I'm not the biggest King Kong uh, nerd about it. It's like, I don't really know the legends and the lore, of, and I haven't seen all of the Kong movies. Um, so I, I know the concept of it, and I've seen movies here and there, but not didn't follow the whole history. So I went into this one kind of with a, a clean mind of what to expect of this. And I thought it was fun. Um, there were fun moments where I just, I actually genuinely like laughed out loud. And overall, this was just a fun adventure movie. There were fun moments, scary things to be afraid of. We'll get to this I want to talk to, yes, Oof. we have to talk uh, particularly about one scene. Um, yeah, yeah. I'd rather not, but we'll, eventually we'll get to it. But overall, uh, I this was a fun movie, and sure. I'm surprised it didn't come out in the summer. Yeah. That's what my biggest surprise was as well. This feels like a quintessential summer blockbuster to me. And to have it in March feels really strange in some ways. Um, but overall, I agree with you. I enjoyed the movie. I thought it moved quickly. Um, there was nice pacing throughout. Um, fun to see Tom Hiddleston kind of move in this direction. Like, uh, he's such a serious actor and, and so talented, and The Night Manager is, like, one of my favorite shows from this year, um, or I guess last year now. Um, but still, interesting to see him go, like, this action route. Sure, yeah. I mean, I... I am somewhat of a King Kong fan, and we'll go through a little bit of history of King Kong, uh, you know, which I think will be interesting for listeners for talking about the show and the lore of Kong throughout the years. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed my visit to Kong Skull Island. Uh, you know, it was a popcorn bucket full of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed the fact that this really isn't a reboot, retelling, reimagining, re-anything. It's really a whole new story set within this sort of quasi-brand-new universe that was set up in Godzilla. Uh, and, and I liked how they cleverly tied it in with that. Um, another thing that I really liked was uh, where it was set, how it was set, being set in 
the very, very ending of the Vietnam conflict, having it set in the 70s, I mean, it basically is Apocalypse Now meets, well, meets King Kong, is what it is. We had a river journey uh, uh, set within Vietnam, the war that the conflict's over, and we have these soldiers who who are set to go home, and now they're coming to Skull Island to, to investigate things with Monarch. I thought that was a really very nice twist. Uh, so we got some good music out of it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was cool. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed about this movie is that Kong doesn't die at the end! Like, there's no tragedy. There's no, like, you don't feel bad. Um, you know, throughout all the Kong iterations or, you know, King Kong, it's always this Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. And, you know, Kong, a lot of people don't like Kong, specifically women, because of the treatment of Kong. Uh, you know, and, and him, the way he dies at the end, I mean, because man basically kidnaps him. From, from Skull Island, brings him to the States to exploit him, and, and you know, because of his trying to protect uh, 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 Fay Ray, or, you know, trying to protect the beauty, uh, he gets killed by human hand, and it's sort of a tragic story. Um, I was trying to do some research on this um, in the last few days. Does he always die at the end of these movies? Is that, like, uh, a... Outside of the Toho okay. uh, Japanese... Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. yes, because since 1933, uh, we'll go, yes, he usually, and it's tragic. And, and if you're an animal lover, a lot of people are, but, yeah. but, but, but Kong himself is such a character, uh, you know, and he's made, he's different from Godzilla. Uh, it's just always sad. You know, it's a sad tale because at its heart, King Kong is like a love story. So um, he doesn't die in this one. And I love it. There was no tragedy. Um, so, you know, there's a good mix of characters to root for. And there are those characters that are expendable. Um, you know, you talked about Tom Hiddleston. And, yeah, it was great to see him basically, you know, he's the lead guy. He's playing a badass in this. He's not Loki. Um and he looked like he was having a good time. And I, I bought into him. Uh, I thought he was really good. And Brie Larson, is the, she's definitely the beauty in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's also got the guts, the bronze. She's this photographer. And she still has a smile that can light up the biggest of screens. I thought she was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, and she's got a smile that melts the heart of a two-ton gorilla. You know, which is Kong. So, and for me, this movie, though, I thought it belonged to John C. Riley. He was a character. Do you? I oh, did. See, yeah. I did not at all. Yeah, I did. I mean, he had good moments, but I don't think this is his film. I, really? Yeah, like, I did. I no. thought it was like, yeah, he had fun one-liners at times, but like he, in some ways, for me, was like a distraction more than a like. I I loved where the story was with the original core group. I think he was definitely like, yeah, that comedic person to to get your good laughs yeah. and the levity in this film. But if you say Kong Skull Island, it wouldn't immediately say John C. Riley. Yeah, I, my only reason why is. Well, it opens up on his character. It ends with his character. His character literally has a beginning, middle, and an end. And him coming home, like, for me anyways, he was the character that I really rooted for in making it through this adventure. You know some people are going to die. You know, and and yes, you're following Tom Hiddleston. You're following Brie Larson's characters. But for me, the one that really drew, like, my sympathies towards 
was John C. Riley. He wanted to get home. He had this family to get home to. And this was his opportunity out. And he was great, I thought, as comedic relief. Um, but he was a bunch of fun to watch. And I thought this was his first movie in a long time where actually it was... Like enjoyable. sort of, kind of enjoyable, enjoyable. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was very enjoyable. It looked like he, as well as everybody else, had a lot of fun. Um, you know, you really, you know, I, I was glad that I booked my ticket. I'm even happier that I didn't get there via helicopter. <laughs> so, you know, sure. Kong hates helicopters. Oh my goodness, <laughs> so. he took out all of them. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, and that it. brings you to like some of the CGI in this movie, which is incredible. I know we'll probably oh get goodness. into that in a little bit, but that was something else that I noticed in the movie that was just unbelievable. The special effects they mm-hmm. they did in this were really great. Yeah, yeah, it really it really was. And you know, I, I personally am sort of kind of glad that it was released now because this is a this is a special effects popcorn bonanza. Sometimes these movies can get lost in the shuffle in the summer because it almost seems like week after week after week. Movies like this can come out, but I think that they released it at a really good time. And box office-wise, they can't be too unhappy with what it did. And I know worldwide it seems to be doing pretty well. We'll talk about that later. But it really it gives us variety going into the summer. Um, and it's not a dump that you would could normally get in March and we've actually this year as opposed to the 2016 where I always talk about the year of depressing movies this year we've actually had movies that are fun to watch in the theaters whether it be Logan whether it be um, Get Out you know King Kong was just a fun movie and there's nothing wrong with fun movies I think we need that now if more than ever just to get away at the movies for two hours. Yeah. yeah, I thought that this was, like, it's definitely released at spring break time. I mean, it, I feel like that was their intention with their release in March. Um, and I could see this, like, kind of being the opener to many of the summer blockbusters to come. Because I feel like every year it gets earlier and earlier with summer blockbusters. Like, it'll start in April, and you're like, well, that's kind of summer, but not totally. It's kind of like Black Friday now. <laughs> not midnight anymore. It's... You know, it's like two days before. You're absolutely you know, right. So. Yeah. No, People I, can't wait anymore. I mean, you, no, you're absolutely right. And, I, you know, yeah, summer just gets earlier and earlier every year that it, it, it comes out. But March, this March, is proving to be a really strong, good time to go at the movies. And I hope it's a harbinger for what we have upcoming for, you know, April, May, June, July. Yeah, you I'm know, excited. just, you know, yeah. it, it makes it makes life fun. So, you know, Kong, King Kong himself has been around for a a while. Uh, he he was uh, originally, theatrically anyways, was from 1933. And um, it, what's fantastic about it, for me, every iteration of King Kong uh, is a new iteration in technology, when you think about it. Uh, in 1933, we had the wonderful Ray Harryhausen, who was... Uh, who's, uh, you know, learning his chops as the stop-motion master. And if you ever have the chance, if you haven't watched it, I really, truly, uh, like, I recommend that you see the 1933 movie just to see what was accomplished back then as far as special effects go and looking at King Kong himself. Like, you really get drawn into this stop-motion animated character who became the inspiration for people like Tim Burton and such, you know? So you had great 
It was a great start off. And then for me, you know, you had the Toho. Toho was people that did Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Right, so man in the suit, and they wanted to jump onto the King Kong bandwagon. So of course they had King Kong vs Godzilla, and then they made King Kong Escapes. Both of them cheesy. Uh, you, you know, if you're not so much into King Kong, they're not movies that you have to see, but they're sort of fun. You know, um, but then you go into one that's a little bit near and dear to my heart. 1976 saw the release of of King Kong. Redone again, basic storyline, but it actually talked about the energy crisis going on, Petrox oil. Uh, it was all about going to Skull Island to get oil, and they mm-hmm. find Kong. It was the introduction of Jessica Lang into cinema. We saw Jeff Bridges. Uh, and then again, the technology of man in a suit type thing. And then Carlo Rimbaldi, who did, they actually, if you watch this movie, it's pretty fascinating. They actually made... Like life-size types of arms and appendices for King Kong. So when he scoops Jessica Lang up in his hand, it's sort of kind of cool what they were able to do. And Carlo Rimbaldi went on to do E.T. So again, we have another iteration of special effects. Uh, and that's always been a trope great. in all the King Kong movies. Like, There's Absolutely. always a moment where Kong is like actually scooping up the woman, the main female yes. protagonist and everything. Absolutely. And we got it in this film as well. Yeah, and you have to make it look good. You know, you had yeah. to make, you had, in 1933, they made it believable for those audiences. So, and then you come to Peter Jackson's King Kong, mm-hmm. which again, you know, he's the, the master of motion capture. More or less, you Lord can credit him for inventing it, pretty much. Uh, Andy Serkis played King Kong. Um, and, and, well, you know, many can boast that it, it, the movie is a little bloated, Um but you can't take away, again, from the emotional like impact uh, of it all. And then now we get today's Kong Skull Island, which, again, motion capture has come such a long way. And the special effects, yeah. as we were talking about. The, the introduction of Kong himself is amazing. Like, yeah. with the helicopter. It's well, great. Well, it's funny, because I, I saw this movie. Uh, it was not in 3D, and just in a standard movie theater, pretty much. And I expected to be not underwhelmed, but, like, I wasn't sure how it would be not in 3D, especially because I've been to Universal Studios here in Los Angeles. Has like a <laughs> they've been on the ride. Yeah, like ha, like they have a ride that's Kong, and you're like, well, once I've experienced that, how is this going to be in this movie theater? And I I felt immersed in this universe, and they did a great job of of making you feel like you were on Skull Island, for lack of a better description. Oh yeah, and I think that was a, a scary introduction to Kong because you just see like. You hear things, but you see the end result. You don't actually right. see the action until we actually get that awesome dramatic reveal of yeah. Kong in the distance. And you're like, holy crap. He's weaponizing palm trees. Yeah, and he's you know? playing with helicopters <laughs> like they're toys. You yeah. Know? And I, I think that was a great introduction, but also it was it was an intense introduction to the point where I'm not sure if I should be afraid of Kong. Or because, I mean, a lot of these films, you're always worried if he's the antagonist or if we should be rooting for him. Much like Godzilla. You're At the end of each of the Godzilla films, usually people are cheering for Godzilla. And usually for King Kong, usually at the end of the film, you're cheering for King Kong. <laughs> yeah, well, the major thing, too, like King Kong Godzilla is... And I said this when we did our Godzilla uh, playback anatomy a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. 
you know, there are two types of Godzilla movies. There, There is the Godzilla the Destroyer, where he just comes in and lays waste to whatever city. It's usually Tokyo. Um, and then there is the Godzilla versus movie, where Godzilla is up against Ghidra, Mothra, King Kong. Kaijus. You know, Kaijus. And that's what the Gareth Edwards movie was. They didn't market it that way, but that's what it ended up being. Kong has just always been at its heart. He was never a character that that was like a... He was never an antagonist. He never came to a situation where he was going to lay waste to New York City. He was always the... He was basically the character... He was on this Skull Island. He was the last of his kind. And it set up a little bit of the tragedy. And then he was kidnapped away from his island. He was more of a protector, but I liked how they set him up. And you're right, Mercy, if you've never seen King Kong before, it's like he was laying those people to waste. Oh, <laughs> and, and it looked great. <laughs> I loved I, Much credit goes to Jordan uh, Vogt Roberts and how he the directed director. the director, how he directed that scene because there were scenes that he used like fight tropes of today in action movies where you see from behind and Kong clenching his fist like oh it's mm. it's it's on now and in in the use of sun and, and we'll talk about Larry Fong and cinematography but man did he make it exciting and I did see it on a premium large format screen and Kong just filled up the entire <laughs> thing and the sound of the helicopters like just whirring around and crashing that was one of the most intense, awesome, most fun scenes this year so far. Yeah, yeah. I felt like uh, the director also knew what he was making. Like, there was no doubt in that movie that they were making a fun... I know it's not summer, but, like, summer blockbuster. And I felt like there were shots where they, like, lingered on Brie Larson or um, or Tom Hiddleston and, and, like, had those, like, action moments. And, and that was really fun, I thought. Yeah. I thought that worked well. Yeah, he did, you know, he did a really great job. And this is a guy that did, like, Kings of Summer. He's an indie guy. And um, what's interesting is he was approached to do this, and he's like, well, what what can I do? Like, what am I going to bring to the table? Um, you know, the original script actually took place in 1917, and it was much different. And he's like, well, I'm not, that's great, but I don't know what you're doing new to Kong. And he sat down, and he's like, well, what if he made it the 70s? And what if he made it around, like, Vietnam? And what if you did, like, just post-Vietnam when it was over? And that, to me, he goes, because he's a big Apocalypse Now fan and Platoon. and Oh, yeah, was, you can definitely yeah. tell the 70s war films were definitely oh, inspiration. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And he's like, that movie I would love to make. And on top of that, he's like, you know, yeah, I play in the indie field. I've, I've done well. It was, but I actually want to make a movie that people see. Like, mm-hmm. I want, he goes, I want to make a movie that I would see. I was, he was very inspired by people like Steven Spielberg, Robert Zemeckis, growing up. And that's the kind of movie that he wanted to see. And he got to pretty much make his yeah, the I, movie that he wanted to see. I, and I, I, think I mean, too. I think he did a really good job of having moments where you get that that indie flavor, if you will, like those, there's like a lot of beautiful shots in this. And then he also on the flip side does those big action moments. And and it's, it's definitely a nice balance of that. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. And you were getting a little bit into the development. Sure. I, I think because I haven't really, I'm, I'm not really familiar with Jordan's work. And to know that he's really an indie director, but to take on such a massive project like this with massive con, um, I thought he did a great job, um, especially for not really delving into that genre. And what was also interesting, because, you know, he was the director, we also had other directors that may or may not have been attached to this project. We, we mentioned Peter Jackson earlier because he did um, Kong a few years uh, right. It's like 11 years ago now. Yeah, crazy. Um, he actually suggested Guillermo del Toro, yep. who did Pacific Rim. So, sure. And he's very familiar with the kaiju story legends as well. And I think it would be in a completely different type of film if Guillermo I agree. directing yeah. it. I agree. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure we would have gotten this 1970s um, movie, Vibe. you know, out of it, and you know, I did forget there was one other Kong movie that that was a sequel to the '76 Kong, but it came years later with Linda Hamilton called Kong King Kong Lives, um, mm. and and this one uh, uh, King Kong did survive. He fell into a coma. They bring him back and they take him back to the jungle. But to your point earlier, when you asked, does Kong die? Yeah, he sadly dies at the end. At the end of Kong Lives, but not without first seeing Baby Kong swinging on the vines in the jungle. So it's sort of kind of sentimental. But you're right. If Guillermo had done this, it would have been a different. It would have been a different movie. Different look as well. Different look, and I'm glad we got. I'm, I was just happy we got the movie we got, um, just because it was so fun and it was beautiful at times to look at yeah. between color and everything. I do wonder if uh, Kong was always going to live because going back into this development, this had numerous rewrites. Uh, right. There were a lot of um, changes within the script and different writers brought in. And that always makes me wonder what was the initial like thought and how did it evolve? And obviously bringing in a new director changed things. Um, but I actually, I agree with you. I like where they ended up with it. And I think it obviously opens the door to, and we'll talk about this, but sequels and all of that. As well, well, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. what was smart, and, 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 and the director, you know, he does say that they they, they did a page one rewrite, and they bought um, the, the original uh, writer uh, into this Max Bornstein, and they, they got him back to, to sit down and, and rework the script. Now, also, again, what Godzilla did was it set up a new universe, in a sense, for monster movies, but it also introduced us to the monarch group. We see the monarch group in Godzilla, and they are the group that looks for monsters and tries to explain why are they here on Earth. The tie-in here, obviously, is the monarch group with John Goodman, who's part of the monarch group, and he has been... He believes in monsters and the Skull Island, and he... He's trying to get funded and backing to go to Skull Island to prove that monsters do exist. And oh boy, yeah, because <laughs> you find out. I was the I think I might have been the only one who was surprised by the fact that um, John Goodman died so early in the film. Like I felt like there was like they could have used more of him. I, I felt like disagree. he died in the middle of the film. Yeah, but like the way he died, I was like, yeah, you kind of deserved that death. Oh, I mean, just that's that's fair. But yeah, did you did you think so? Oh yeah, for okay. sure. I was like, he was the idiot with the one camera that's causing all the light flashing. I was like, yeah, right. dude, look where you're at. Right. He's literally causing the distraction. For everything. It's well, like, I also yeah. felt like that was a, a play. We don't have to go too deeply into sure. this, but um, 
on like that social media that we're all like taking photos <laughs> instead of actually experiencing what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Like we're all like on our iPhones up, and I just felt like that was like a slight play on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone maybe I, I think it was just like the situation he he didn't realize how dangerous of the place that they were walking into. Right. And he was still the idiot, like, trying to just, like, take photos here and there. Yeah. Like, nah. I, 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 was, I was only surprised that they killed his character off only because he was the tie to the Monarch Company. And I was like, oh, okay, so we're really not going to see him in any other iterations down the line because, I mean, I, I'm just, like, thinking... Like sequel, they've already announced that there's going to be a King Kong vs. Godzilla, but it has to be in present day. Mm-hmm. You know, that because Godzilla was brought to life in present day by Garth Edwards, so they can't go back and have people forget that Godzilla showed up before. But I just thought John Goodman would have been a nice addition. He'd be like older and but I was like, well, okay. They they killed off the monarch guy. But maybe that <laughs> um, but, opens you know. the door for other monarch characters. Oh, yeah. Well, Ken Watanabe, who played him, yeah. uh, along with, uh, I forget who the actress's name is, but they were part of that group uh, looking for Godzilla. But I just, I like the tie-in. And we'll talk about the end credit sequence for a while. And hopefully, if you watched it, you did stay for... There was a reason why there was a, a, a scrolling wall at the very end credits for you to watch at the end. Um... But Did you watch the end credits, Stephanie? I think totally. I, I, left, I left before. I know. Same. So <laughs> not helpful, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, I read about what it is, though. Yeah, I mean, and there was a spoiler, too. There was a spoiler to the very button at the end credits that, that, that I noticed. So if you're watching it, it said, and we'd like to thank Toho. And meanwhile, we're still, still going up, so it's not over yet. But it was during the thank yous, they said, we'd like to thank Toho for their use of... For allowing us to use Ghidra, Mothra, and we get the other, you know, the other monsters that they mentioned, and I'm sitting going, "Wait a minute! They, I didn't see any of those monsters in this movie. Like, what the hell are they talking about?" And I waited three more minutes. I was like, "Oh, okay, there they are." And there's Godzilla. And I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. cool." I go, "Wow, they spoiled sort of, kind of spoiled the button, but it was pretty cool." Um, I also liked how one of the iterations J.K. Simmons was supposed to be. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, in this movie, and it was supposed to take place in Detroit, <laughs> um, <laughs> the car capital of the world. Um, so it's just interesting how this movie has shifted. I just feel yeah. like if you looked at, I guess, the development, or they announced, the studio announced it in 2014, I'm assuming that this was a very different movie in 2014 than we actually saw in 2017. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Agreed. And films always go through different iterations, and we mentioned the writing already went through a few drafts. Um, but also the concept development I thought was fantastic for this film. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Ivan Komenko back in 2014 when they started all this. He was commissioned to work on the concept um, art, which, and when you watch the film, is pretty true to what he started off with. So for those who are listening on the iTunes version, we also have pictures on the video aspect. So yeah. go check us out on YouTube. Um, some of these photos are really, really cool. So you see the bone skull. The, the, the graveyard, the graveyard scene, where yeah, they're uh-huh. all walking through and close to imminent death, and you can scroll through the photos. Yeah. Um, what What's impressive about it, I think, is that the they land. they were doing yeah. this in real location. They didn't sure. like shoot this on a lot somewhere. Like mm-hmm. they they really went to these locations, and it's amazing. I mean, again, just a beautifully shot movie. Now, and and the other thing that I appreciate too is that uh, Jordan. Uh, wanted to, he wanted to harken back 
to the original 1933 King Kong. He's a, he's a, he was walking on his two feet and such. And again, the 76 version did the same as well. Um, but, I, you know, he used the, 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 the 1933 as his blueprint to do him. So he has the eyebrow. He can be very expressive with his eyes. But Kong has always, you know, been that way. He has to be expressive. Again, if you're going to believe in the Beauty and the Beast tragedy tale, you have to really buy into really liking Kong and understanding that he's not really a bad guy. And in this movie, I really do like how they paint him as, look, guys, he's not the bad guy. And truly, this is the first iteration, the first Kong movie where those natives who built that wall wasn't necessarily for keeping Kong out from keeping everything else out, but not Kong. They understood that Kong is there to protect them, and they they, they respected that. There were no... I also liked how there was no... From from the natives, anyways, like, they weren't giving up vestal virgins to try to appease the mighty... You know, to to, to appease the mighty Kong. And all, you know, in, in 33 and 76, and even Peter Jackson's, this is what they were doing because Kong is a monster. So I liked how... You know, John C. Riley's line said it best. He's like, this is Kong's land. If you come in here, you know, you don't come to somebody's land and start dropping bombs unless you're picking a fight. And you pick the fight with the wrong guy. Yeah. He's going to obliterate you. And that just sets up that this is a different kind of Kong movie, uh, which I really appreciated as well. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. And I wish I could remember that uh, they were like creatures of some sort that would like come like was it a snake i don't i'm not it was like the thing that popped out of the ground and the skull, he, cr- the, the skull the, crushers the skull or crushers, no, skull skull crushers. i was like yeah, I, right. these mm-hmm. awful creatures that were like hard to watch and then watching Bones, um kong fight one. them skull that, crawler that was some of the most incredible again cgi work but also just to see you see that kong isn't evil necessarily he's really trying to protect like the habitat and everything that's kind of the way i took it like the, well but that, that's exactly yeah yeah, yeah yeah he's the protector you were yeah. gonna say uh, is his name skull crawlers well, skull crawlers skull skull crawl. it sounds crawlers. silly the one i say it out loud so i don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry skull crawlers guys and, I, yeah. and also the director jordan he said and you know when he first took on this project that he himself envisioned just like the silhouette of Kong against like a bright red orangish sunset uh, background so like and that's what you actually see in the poster oh, yeah for it's this great poster, so too, he already had one. a vision of what he wanted yeah. this film to be and i think he executed it yeah so and then uh, just just a quick a quick little tie in too to Godzilla the Gareth Edwards Godzilla in that movie it was set up that Godzilla only will show up when there is a bigger threat to Earth. When they actually need him. When they actually need him. Like, when he senses that there are other kaiju who are going to cause a threat to hit... Godzilla sort of looks at Earth as his habitat, in a sense. That he comes out of hiding to fight these creatures. It's basically what what is happening here. Kong is on the island to protect the island from these, you know, these, these, these skull crawlers... And um, it's his home. They also do set up very, you know, they, they do it sort of quickly, but they set up that he is the last of his kind, that these skull crawlers do you believe like, that, killed, killed his parents. Yeah, let's like, see, they, they left that 
um, you know, that little button for us to think that he's the only one. But I think they might have dropped that, like, maybe he's not. You, know? you don't know. I would like to see if there's, like, if they did a sickle or something with more than just Kong. Yeah. I. It's always set up that he is the last of his kind, and which has always made the other iterations of King Kong that more tragic. Um, because he died from human hands, and he was it. He was the last one. So it seemed to be set up. Uh, it seemed to be set up saying that these are the the, the bones of his parents. Um, so he has a lot at stake. He's got to protect himself. He's got to protect his land. He's got to keep these skull, cr- you know, these skull crawlers down. Um, but it's pretty, you know. And again, it was just another fun aspect of this movie to to, to talk about. Um, you know. I like John Voight Roberts, his philosophy. You know, he was asked whether or not, you know, was it hard to fit it into this Godzilla universe? And he's like, well, he, he, he his, his thing, he goes, you know, audiences are smart and they're sick of having this franchise, S-H-I-T, this franchise shit jammed down their throats. They're sick of having 10 minutes of exposition in one movie that's just setting up another movie. And I never got that this was a setup for another movie, and pretty it can stand on its own, and um, but he subtly laid this pipeline down that the, the, the work, you know, that's why like Monarch was there, but it didn't overtake the movie, and it led us to the tracker Tom Hiddleston, like we, we should talk about like their involvement, and it gave us some good characters. Yeah, I, I think like if you're not familiar with the Kong universe, then you go in to watch this film, you won't be too lost. It's no, very I mean, understandable. Yeah, I mean, they made it accessible, I feel like also to a pretty wide audience. They they were not aiming for like, oh, we only want like fans of Kong, we only want, like they were trying to get an entire family essentially to this movie. A little violent at times, but still trying to get the entire family mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more and the introduction of the characters didn't seem i mean it didn't seem forced on us that we're building this universe it was like okay we, we got to get our tracker mm-hmm. we have to get our photographer and uh, you know we gotta you get up, our squad yeah we, well <laughs> but it, it was organic for the time in which this movie's made because how like well how are you gonna find an army of people. Well, the Vietnam War just ended. We've got these soldiers now who they don't have a war to go to. And I like the fact that some of them are like, you know, man, I was going home. Yeah. I was going home. You're pulling me off of going home to do what? Like, why am I going to this island for to begin with? And then you had the other uh, antagonist, yet Sam Jackson's character, whose character was like, the war's over. Now what? I don't have existence if I don't have a war to fight. You know, he goes, so, of course I'm going to take this mission to figure out what's going on. But the way that it was set up, it wasn't forced. It was very organic to the story. Packard annoyed me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, like, Sam Jackson, he, he's a good actor and all. But I think this particular character, like, who should we be more afraid of? His Packard or the Skull Crawlers or King Kong? I believe that this character was also originally going to be played by uh, Gene or J.K. Simmons, and to me, that would be a very different movie and a very different. Like, I can't imagine. The, they seem like very different actors to me. But, oh, completely. Yeah. yeah, completely. You bring up a good point because I think that what Packard with Sam J. with Sam Jackson's character is is the he's the bad humanistic element of. 
He's the one that goes um, rogue. And it was just <clears> terrible. Oh, like, and I don't mean to sound terrible saying this, but like at the end, watching his character, he he ended up just being the angry black guy, um, mad at the character, mad at the world, kind of not really like a a um, you know a, a villain. I mean, he was a villain, but um, but I, I don't know. Just watching him, it's not out of his wheelhouse because we've seen other characters where he's the angry guy, and again, it was just. It's a character that he's played over and over again. It was just kind of annoying to watch. I don't... I guess I don't totally agree, but I did have the issue of getting over that it was Samuel L. Jackson. Like, <laughs> all, I, all I could see... And maybe that's because he's played roles similar to this, but I was just like, oh, it's Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I didn't even totally remember his name until I did the research. Like, <laughs> like, I was like, okay. Like, I, you know, and I thought that there... It would have been more interesting to have him be a slightly more complex character. Yeah, I mean, he is, uh, I don't know. He, again, he is the, the, the worst of humanity, and he was looking for, you know, he, he needed war to make him happy. He sort of kind of reminded me, and again, it's sort of kind of talking about the, the the weaknesses of this type of a character, of the character that Idris Alba played in Star Trek Beyond. Like, he, he just basically ultimately was a military guy who had no more military thing to do, no more wars to fight. And so he went rogue and did this whole thing, and that's what his character is. He was looking for excuses to 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 go back to war to give his life purpose. When he when he met his demise, you're like, yeah, he yeah, deserved he deserved every single bit of it. I think I wanted maybe a flashback of him at war. Like I wanted to understand, I guess, more where this character was. Like, I understood where he was at currently in his life, but I wanted to get a little bit more of his backstory. I wanted to have some level, I guess, of compassion for him, and what I was left with was similar to you. It was like, oh, he died? Great. Like, Yeah, get yeah. out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, and that's not normally my reaction to any character. Um, and it was good that we set up a human antagonist, because even though, again, all the all the facts were presented to him, and he still was like, well, no, we still have to go find the soldier. He's like, no, that soldier's dead. Like, there's no reason for us to go there yeah. anymore and put our lives in danger because we're not soldiers. Well, that's, like, that's what's was so, also, his yeah. character was just frustrating to watch through and through because he's taking resources and using these guys and risking their lives and not having a care about the world. He's not, he didn't care about them whatsoever. And, and their well-being. So I'm like, what are you doing? And then the whole showdown between the, the big skull curler and Kong, I wanted to see that too go at it, not also worry about Packard in the midst of all mm-hmm. this. I'm like, just get out of here. Yeah. I, or I just wanted him to have a change of heart, like see what was happening in front of him and have some realization. And we never, maybe because of his death, we never got that realization. And well, it was never going to happen because the perfect place to put that yeah. <clears throat> was when he realized, when he has that conversation with John Goodman. Yeah. And he's like, what the hell am I doing here? And John Goodman goes to that thing as monsters exist, and he goes to that whole speech. Now, anybody with any sense of brain would go, "What? What the hell did you do? You were in jeopardy." He goes, "We got to get the hell out of here." Yeah. Goes, Jesus. But instead, he said, "Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? This this thing killed my men." This is my new war. Yeah, so that he, was the perfect spot. He was acting out of pure revenge at that point. Pure yeah. revenge and pure his that his existence of being at the Vietnam War for such a long time that that that's his life. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he was he just wasn't a militaristic dude. Yeah. yeah, and he wasn't going to have one now that the war was over. So it was very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, let's, let's talk Tom Hiddleston. I thought, um, yeah, I thought he was great in this movie. As James Conrad. Now, mind you, I mentioned Apocalypse Now earlier. Uh, there is a true connection. His last name, Conrad, which is the last name of the author of uh, Heart of Darkness, which mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now is based off of. His name is Conrad, and he's the tracker. He's the guy that's going to get them through. He was great. He was so fun to watch as a good guy, as yeah. a badass good yeah, guy. Yeah, because I, um, you see him, obviously, in Marvel movies, and then you've seen him do these dramatic parts. And this was definitely a lighter role for him. And you sometimes when actors go that direction, it's it's dicey territory. It, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't always work. And I thought for him it was fun and it's like kind of opened that door of like I'm a leading man, watch me now. And I and I kind of and I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I liked his character. I'm glad he was the the calm voice of reasoning for everybody and yeah i would totally follow him and trust his instincts like go left instead of right you know um and he was charming there were moments where he was charming with you know brie larson's character and i'm glad that relationship didn't really like play out to what you think it would be but his character was just he was he was a leader which you wanted to follow and he was just a charming man yeah he was a badass he was likable And I think he also... And he's very ripped, I guess, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he worked out, he, in press interviews, he's been talking about that he woke up at, like, five in the morning to do, to work out. So, like, he knew what he needed to do to make this believable. Yeah, he Um, should get a dog, because I wake up at five five in the morning, too. Yeah. It's just a walk him. Yeah. But anyway. (laughs) Right? Totally. Um, But also, I have to say, in watching press interviews with... Tom, like, he was game on in the press tour, which I, and I think they all were, actually, and I think with this kind of movie, that's the best thing you can be. If you're, like, not wanting to talk and being super cagey and weird, like, this kind of movie doesn't sell itself. You need to be out there being the charming guy that Tom Hiddleston is. But don't you, I I agree with 100%, but I think it also lends to the fact that because when you watch this, that they actually had fun making this movie. Absolutely. They actually, they knew what they were getting into. They had complete faith in the director. And it looked like they all had fun playing their characters. What's so, a good time. What's so cute to look at is uh, their Instagrams over the last couple weeks. Because... Oh, yeah. Cute. Okay. They've been... <laughs> not, endearing. 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 Yeah. Like, it's it's really nice to see a cast, like, they're on planes together. They've been traveling the world together promoting mm-hmm. this movie. And so they're, like, you know, like, on a plane together taking selfies. And, like, if you look at all of, like, Brie Larson's been posting. I know Tom Hiddleston's been posting. Like... Maybe Sam Jackson. Yeah, Sam Jackson. It's been fun to see, like, them interact. And sometimes you see cast and it it looks like a job. They fly separately. You're right. It looks like a job. Yeah. And so that really means to me that... And I think it's part of the reason why this movie works Mm -hmm. is because I did believe that these guys were having fun at their parts. And they became good friends, and they're now part of, like, you can tell that when future movies happen, obviously, they're in the Monarch group now, um, at the end of this movie, but I enjoy, like, it was the first time that Tom Hiddleston really comes off as a leading man, yeah. like, in a, in, a, in a movie, and he had to carry the part. Like, when they were recruiting him, that was a great scene, and I bought every second of it that he 
but he's a badass. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it was good. Uh, it, it was fun to watch him. Um, Brie Larson. Now, this is coming on the heels of winning, winning an Academy Award for The Room, right? Yeah. And now she's in Kong Skull Island. God bless her. But she was really good, too. Yeah, you know? I really enjoyed her. I think it's a very male-heavy cast, and sometimes the female in these kinds of roles, it, it doesn't feel very um, like she's, you know, she's along for the ride, but not really doing much. And she felt like she held her own as a character, and I, I really like that. And I think it's really unfair that critics have been coming after her about that, yes, this is her first movie after winning an Academy Award. Like, I don't think that every movie that you do has to be room. It can be many things, and she can circle back and do another Academy film. Not every movie you do is going to be that. Right, and you got to remember, like, they filmed this in 2015. So right. this was even technically before she won the Academy Award. True. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, she's just a great actress in and of herself. Um, it's really unfair that the women are the one that gets, you know, yeah. po- poked but, at. And, and, and you're right. It's unfair but there's also no shame in having fun in making a good movie. Listen, if the movie sucked, bad movies like can really torpedo, look at Eddie Murphy, could torpedo Oscar chances and whatever. Yeah. If the movie sucked, then you know people might have come down her. But she del- she was in a movie that was just fun. Yeah. There's no shame in that at all. Well, at all. I think she did great, especially being amongst alpha males in this. She, <laughs> yeah. like you said, Stephanie, she held her own. But she also brought that mothering, nurturing effect that a female could bring yeah. to the, to you know, the story. And going back to one more point about actors uh, transitioning into different roles. I think you talk uh, I always think about Black Swan and Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis both talk about doing um, Friends with Benefits and I think No Strings Attached. And these are like blockbustery fun roles like a completely different thing than Black Swan and I think you need that just as a human being to have like those transitions like if you're always doing heavy parts I can't imagine that that's a fun life to lead so it, yeah it was my biggest complaint about Eddie Redmayne yeah until he did Fantastic Beast but it was like Jesus Christ dude have a little fun with your career for crying out loud. Yeah. Like, every movie you're in actor. does not have to be mm-hmm. so dramatic. And then he showed his, like, I enjoyed watching The Fantastic Beast. You know, Natalie Portman, I mean, she was also in a small Star little Wars. trilogy. Yeah. Uh, oh, Star Wars yeah. Too. I, just, but I use that as a. It's great yeah. that, well, it's the diversity of the actors. And listen, they, they, they want jobs. Like, the. the Kong like if you really want to like chastise Brie Larson, she did a freaking Disney movie years ago. So yeah, don't poke fun at that. <laughs> so, and then, uh, like, come on, I, I think the, like, and this is what I can't stand about critics like chastising people's performances, and it, and I think it's just that that terrible you know stigma of once you do an Academy Award, you can only do like serious movies from now on, or like people can't take you seriously if you do a fun filled. Yeah, she's like going to be in a Marvel. She's going to yeah, be a, a main like Marvel. Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so just lay off of her. She was great. One cool aspect uh, that 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 I read about her character and everything. I mean, she's a photographer, right? But she was actually taking pictures. She was, she was actually there was film in her yeah, camera. Awesome. You know she cool. was shooting pictures. She was almost like a real documentarian. Yeah. I did not know that. And you know what's cool? She she used Leica in um, in the film for this. So the camera that she was using was a Leica camera. And she said herself, she hadn't personally used a Leica before, but uh, years ago she took classes, um, photography classes on how to pro- properly process 
you know, film like that. Yeah. So she knew that. And uh, instead, she used her camera, uh, Canon AE-1, usually, for mm-hmm. her phone. But in the film, she used... That like, would be uh, fun. I wish that that had been part of, like, the end credits to see some of those photos because that would be interesting like yeah, like as, shooting pictures. yeah yeah and but you know i i didn't know about it but they actually nope uh, uh uh jordan said i want filming the camera like what are we gonna do no Make it like, authentic. I wanna, yeah i want filming the yeah. camera i want her shooting pictures and she was but again another point she too looked like she was having fun uh it's yeah. on skull island and she wasn't a damsel in distress like she could hold her own and she did. She did a really good job. Yeah, you know? it's impressive when you feel like a cast had fun, mm-hmm. and especially on a shoot like this, that they were in all around the world shooting. They they did. I think it was like four different locations, and mm-hmm. then they also filmed for like six months. So by the end of this, like you know, those actors are tired, and the and the crew is tired, and everybody, and to have it looks like so much fun is is a feat and impressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, and. Uh, you know, I say again, kudos to the cast. And what's interesting too, uh, I said it. You know, as part of my review, is number one, this gave us characters to care for, mm-hmm. and then it gave us the Expendables. Like it gave us the ones that we knew we were not going to make. It that they, they were the Expendables. The one that I, that I was sort of kind of shocked about was the guy uh, who actually believed Chapman. played yeah Chapman. Yeah, yeah, he plays Toby Kong. Um, yeah, he. Like his character was like, "Oh, I survived this crash. Oh, I'm dead." Yeah. <laughs> it was like, mm. "Oh, it was like, okay, there you go." I, I I will say that it was slightly frustrating at moments because you knew exactly from the get go, like Tom Hiddleston is not dying in this, Brie Larson not, not dying. dying, like like so you knew who was exactly. I guess that's a great way of saying it. Who was expendable in this? And you were and so I found it at times I was like it would be more fun if I I didn't know like oh, these are like your lead actors, you're not killing them off. Yeah, and, I had no problem with that in this movie because it is a popcorn movie. I want people to root for like like John Goodman though. We said John Goodman was a surprise. I did not expect that John Goodman was going to die. In this movie, considering that he's with the Monarch group, I didn't. Ex- so that was a surprise to me in a in a in a sense, and I was curious as to is 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 John C. Riley's Marlowe again? He's the protagonist in Heart of Darkness. Uh, that that last name Marlowe is he going to make it off the island? Is he going to get to go home? Because that was such a big part of it, and him making friends with like that Japanese soldier again. What a, it was just such a super scene that here we are in World War II, these two downed pilots, one with samurai sword, they're fighting it out, they're on a cliffside, and all of a sudden, like, these two big A-pans come up, and they're like, what the hell? I thought that was a great scene, and then you, you learn that they became friends, they had to. And again, I liked how the natives weren't portrayed as being bad people, um... They respected where they were. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I really like John C. Riley's character in that he did actually go home. He See, got home. And I I guess I liked that final scene with him and, and finally arriving home. But I, I didn't feel like I had the emotional attachment to him that I did to the other characters. Yeah, same here. I mean, like, I liked the fact he was charming. He was likable. Um, it was interesting that they, they gave him a backstory that kind of, threaded through the whole film and like I'm glad he got 
to go home. Mm. And especially, uh, I did like the moments where everyone's trying to keep them updated in what's going on in the world. Right. You know, like, oh, we put a man on the moon and X, Y, and Z. And like, oh, you know, you, you hear that uh, naivety of what happened yeah. to him because he's, you know, marooned on an island. Um, he was likable. And I'm glad that he went home because yeah. he was just longing to see his family. And when they said that he had a son that he never met, I was like, oh, he's going to meet him. So I think it was just like at the end of the film, I wasn't surprised. It was very predictable yeah. that he was, was going to see his For family. me, it was a very nice bookend. And again, it just like because the movie opens up with that character and it ends with that character. We see that the other folks are being now, they, they, they were drafted into Monarch. But what a good team. Like they're, they're a cool team to hunt down monsters, you know, on the planet and, and try to prove that they exist. So. It'll be fun to see their exploits, you know, if there are further sequels to this outside of <clears throat> King Kong vs. Godzilla. But for me, too, for the John C. Riley, because he was so... He wasn't there again, but he was funny. He was like, that again, that scene, because you're all a good bunch of guys. You're all going to die here, you know? He goes, but I like hanging with you. Like, mm-hmm. he, and, and, but he knew his stuff. And when we talk about production design, too, which was sort of cool, the raft that he had constructed... That was a cool-looking, like, mishmash of plane parts, boat parts, this, that. I thought that, I thought it looked really I feel cool. like it was very um, true to his character because he seemed like he was all over the place. And yeah. so was that plane-slash-boat-slash-whatever whatever that was. He, they were I on. mean, <clears throat> it did float, so... It worked. <laughs> it worked. It got them up the river, so good for them. It got them up the river. Yeah, and it, it sort of kind of reminded me of... Uh, you know, again, just using imagination. It reminded me in parts. There's this, there's this great, little-known Disney film called Island at the Top of the World, in which you know a group of explorers try to go to the top of the world in a zeppelin, and mm-hmm. they have to create certain things. And that's what this sort of kind of reminded me of, using that imagination and drawing out Skull Island, in that we really did get to be use it. We were immersed in Skull Island. The other iterations, you're just there for a small fraction before King Kong's extracted and brought to the, you know, brought to New York City. We actually stayed in Skull Island, so I, I sort of kind of got a little bit of the geography of it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the creatures, uh, which we should talk about now that we, you know, since I brought it up, so I, I do want to talk about uh, the creatures. Marissa, a week ago, you and I were having a conversation about this movie, and you said, "I don't want to see it." Uh, I, 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 I hear there's a spider. <laughs> I hear there's a spider, and I was like, "Huh? Okay." Well, it's only I wanted to ask you: Did you? Mm. Was it as bad for you? Oh yeah, you it was were, terrible. It was. I mean, was. I was using. Okay. Admittedly, I was using my peripheral vision to watch it. Fair enough. I wasn't looking directly at the camera. There were some shots I saw like straight up on the face. I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be my nightmares for the next week." I, yeah, I have to say that. Uh, there, I was like, why? Why does it have to be big spiders? I mean, yeah. Come on, we can't I, think. I of definitely like covered my eyes at points, and I was like, "This is a little bit of a low point for me," but I'm okay with it. <laughs> That's why I couldn't get through the Peter Jackson film when they go to the island and there's literally all these spiders right. and creep caterpillars <laughs> yeah. and centipedes and yeah. shit. And yeah, like, I, I was just like, no. especially when. Kong yep. was fighting. Actually, it wasn't the spider. It was the um, <laughs> uh, the other uh, skull crawler. Yeah, the skull crawler. I, I like. I just like couldn't. Wa- I was like, it's hard to watch, even though I know it's CGI and it's like. But yeah, again, it was like, and I was like, I'm not proud of myself for that. But, no, but like the skull, I wasn't afraid of the skull. I mean, granted, they were threatening as well. But like, I 
could watch the skull crawlers because they look like nothing right. like right. they do in real life. Sure. Spiders are real things. People uh, have died from spiders. Like I, sure. No, the, I mean, <laughs> the introduction to the spiders yeah. was, what, was what got me because, again, it, it was a very well-directional tack because it was Ugh. sort of like a, like a bait-and-switch. They're walking through a forest. You hear this. You hear some sounds. One of the soldiers, one of the expendables, looks up, and all of a sudden, thunk! This 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 thing this this mm. bar, the, mm. you don't know what the hell it is goes right through its mouth right through his head, and then you're like whoa what the hell and then when you looked up they're like it's a spider and like that whole spider battle scene, it, it, like I was one you were sort of hidden from the trees but you still had a problem no like, but like but you I, can delineate what the hell it was sure and then yeah. you let to your own imagination how terrible it was yeah it was horrifying <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just like the randomness of like the legs coming down. You didn't know where it was gonna go. Again, I thought it was a really well, well for a popcorn movie. That scene was like it worked. Well, it was just terrible creature after terrible creature. Yeah, in sure. so many ways. Yeah, I thought the squid was cool though. The squid, the squid, yeah. the big giant squid. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you're led to believe you should be afraid of the squid, but the fact that Kong just ripped that apart like it was nothing. Yeah, um, that was pretty cool yeah. to watch. And it was Cruising great. Again, too. he's saving folk and you know here's this squid and in every iteration of those Kong movies it was 1933 I believe he fights like a Tyrannosaurus Rex because Skull Island is the, the the island that time forgot in a sense so in 76 he has a great he's protecting Jessica Lang from from this huge like boa constrictor kind of snake and it's a really cool fight yeah and, I would take a snake over a spider <clears throat> sure well we didn't we didn't see snakes in this movie. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I would have taken that. There definitely weren't as many creepy crawlies as there were in Peter Jackson. In Peter Jackson's. Peter show. Jackson's. Oh. And again, that's for me where th- that movie sort of kind of gets a little repetitive. And it just, like, it doesn't stop to breathe. It's just like, oh, okay, what else are you going to throw? <laughs> oh, oh, centipedes. Right oh, Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but to me, too, the, the creatures. Or they were fun, but they also gave reason for this is why Kong is here. You know, he's 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 more or less like I'm I'm keeping the natural order of things. Yeah, you know, things can't. I have to be the apex predator. The the food chain, basically. Yeah, exactly. And Kong is the top of that. And I also felt like by keeping it on Skull Island, it kind of gave them a reason to keep uh, Kong alive. Because Mm -hmm. if you bring him to like a city as we've seen so many times in the past it um like he's killing people like where this it's like he was mostly like yes he killed soldiers and whatever but like self-defense but um he also like the purpose of him on skull island was much clearer that he was uh like protecting the land and and that made me understand more why he would stay alive yeah and you know i think it should be just to clear up any confusion, whenever he was brought to the States or to New York City or to a major city, he wasn't killing people for kill- for the sake of oh, killing yeah, people. Sorry. He was being protective that, that's of... That's not what I meant. He was but. being protective of himself, and at the same time, he was looking for his beauty. And if he didn't find his beauty, because he just wanted... All he wanted to do was really be left alone and, and find love in his but life. That's a great yeah, That was the twisted yeah. notion that Packard had. It's like, he killed my men, yes. and he thought that... Kong did it out of spite. And right. I was like, no, it wasn't and, like that. And, and, and again, I don't know. Does it remind you of current things when people are presenting you with facts going, dude, this is his house. Like, you are causing problems in his house. 
if you be nice, like, he'll walk right by you, like, you know, but no, he didn't want to have any, he didn't listen to the facts, even though they were put right in front of his face, it's like, nope. Blinded by rage. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just fascinating with, because this movie was obviously made before the current political climate, but um, it's interesting to see, and it happens numerous times, I I also am on Supergirl, amongst other things, and uh, uh, talk about that weekly, and it's interesting to see how all these shows and and movies, really, in some ways, you can apply what's happening, uh, and they were written long before it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I want to talk about too. When we talk about Beauty and the Beast, there's there's a great scene with Brie Larson, Tom Hiddleston, and Kong, and it really like number one, Kong loves blondes. Um, you know that's yeah, that's his archetype. For, you know, <laughs> he just does. Um, but again, it just showed that hey, you know he can he's not evil, and these people like he he, he he's obviously taken. I mean, there are some nice people. I mean, hell, these natives seem like pretty okay people as well. And, you know, I thought that was a really nice scene. Um, And again, it just harkens back to the Beauty and the Beast analogy in a sense. So I thought that was pretty cool that they at least showed something, but they didn't focus on that. That wasn't the story of this movie. I also thought that Brie, actually all of them, but I noticed it most with Brie, did a phenomenal job of reacting to something that you know was not in front of her. Like, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. she was, like, you know, had, like, probably looking at nothing and had phenomenal reactions at points. Scared at times, like, gentle. It was just really amazing to see all of that, and I, I think you could say the whole cast did that, but... I, I noticed it a lot with her. Oh, yeah. She was fantastic. Sure. I mean, we had those moments where she's just standing on a cliff, and you can tell she's, like, petrified for her life. Yeah. But, uh, like you said, not to reiterate everything. Sure. Um, and I think t- Tom Hiddleston had a lot of those moments as well. Sure. Um, and he's used to that. You know, yeah, I mean, you know, big Avengers CG world and Thor. And and I, yeah. But you have that emotional depth to get to that look sure. place as an actor when you're literally in front of nothing. Yeah. Well, so they call it acting. I think they uh, did a good job. I think they realized during the press tour I was reading in the research that um, that they all had like a different vision of how big Kong was. Right. So they were like <laughs> like trying to figure out afterwards like how to make it look like they were looking at the same right thing, which I, I find really fascinating. Yeah. As well. So we we talked about uh, a little bit. We talked about locations. I want to talk about like the actual filming in these locations. Um, in 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 combine the the cinematography the with, and what and what yeah. and what challenges each location had for making the movie look the way that it looked. Um, now Larry Fong, uh, you know their first location. He goes on to say, and he's the cinematographer. Um, they were first in Hawaii, and um, so which is fantastic. You yeah. get it. Oh, I mean also. There were moments where you could see it was the same location as Jurassic Park, oh, yeah. sure. and you could see it. Yeah. it. Like you were like, "Oh, okay." And also, I think Lost has been filmed. There's been a number of things, yeah. and there's like a certain valley, and you're like, yeah. "Oh, that's that valley." Like, sure. it, it's mm-hmm. very recognizable sure. at this point, which is fine. But yeah, and, and well, Fong goes on. He goes, "Yeah, crew were confronted by a lake of fire." He says, "Deliberate." He goes, "And flash flooding." Accidental. (laughs) So, weather in Hawaii can go from sunny to cloudy to rain within an hour and then back again. It was lost episodes at some of the same locations featured in Kong. We got hit by torrential rains and literally rivers of flooding water, and the next day we shot in mud. (laughs) So, um, then from Hawaii, they moved to Australia. 
I mean, this is like a James Bond kind of. Yeah. We're going from Hawaii to Australia. Um, the, that was the vast white sand. That's where they used uh, uh, the, the, that, that sequence where we had up the, the picture of the, the boneyard, so the to speak. The skull crawler, yes. Um, and the barren white sticks. Um, pretty surreal. And then uh, Kong finished actually in Vietnam, being that this takes place in that era. <clears throat> and rainforest skeleton crews uh, ravaging natural landscape. Um, the only thing he fought for getting was a camera remote head on a long arm that we mounted on a boat. And that's how we got the soaring crane shots that give the story an epic feel, which it did have an epic feel. I, I mm-hmm. agree. And you, you started to wonder if they were using a drone, like how they got it. Because it, at one point, right. it almost felt like a, a drone over. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. So um, I forget. You said you just saw it in a regular, a regular. theater. How about you, I saw Marissa? It okay. Um, like I said, I, I saw it in an XD house. What I enjoyed is that um, when they were in Australia, like it, some of the locations <clears throat> that they filmed in were so remote that the whole cast and crew had to get get there by um, helicopters and that type of transportation just to get to their filming location. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so pretty neat. Um, now, you know, Fong goes on a key players in Kong's big fight sequence. We're missing in action during principal photography. Visual effects artist added the 100-foot tall Kong. So that's how big he was. 100 feet. Nah, mm-hmm. that's, that's, you know, not tiny. Um, giant lizard and gargantuan octopus during post-production. So what's it like framing a shot where the central figures are nowhere to be seen? And, and Fong's like, it's not as difficult. Uh, we've gone over all the shots in pre-production, and he works well with Jordan, uh, you know, the director. And what kind of lens works best for this epic battle? And he goes, you know, we had... It was all mapped out for us, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and again, I think the color, you, that one scene too. There were a couple... The sun, the, the oh, sun yeah. behind him, yeah, the, the silhouette is great. The scene where Kong emerges from the fire and he's facing Sam Jackson, Absolutely. another amazing scene. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. um, you quickly mentioned lenses. Sure. Uh, they... they <clears throat> um, Fung and Jordan shot in widescreen two... 2.4 anamorphic format, and then they also filmed on Panavision lenses. So, yeah. and you saw it in a different type of theater that definitely showed the 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 wide aspect of the show. Yeah, it was uh, big. Movie. All the money was up on screen, and uh, and 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 from sound mix to sound design, it was uh, it looked <clears throat> it, it looked like a big movie. That uh, you know, again, thankfully, it you know it delivered. It was it was fun. But I think in part because of the way that this movie was shot. Because, like you said, it sort of had that independent feel where it's like, I want to get a really good-looking shot, but I don't want to be pretentious about it. And there's nothing pretentious about Kong Skull Island, but it did look beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, I think... it, when you say like the money was up on screen, you can see the money they spent on it. That's really nice because sometimes you're getting <laughs> high caliber actors, which this cast certainly is. Right. Um, then you're getting, you know, you have a good director, you, and you st- and you have all this CGI, and it just doesn't come together for whatever right. reason, and that's such a bummer. And this movie certainly did come together I think at least in a way that I found really enjoyable yeah 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 Yeah, and Jordan Jordan has an interesting in reading about him he has interesting philosophies about about filmmaking and such and you know he he had something very a metaphor 
like for like how is it going from <clears throat> the kings of summer from small independent films and you know making a movie that's so rich in visual effects and having money and you know he was like he was graduating from tiny sundance indie to nine figure budget and he goes on to say he goes if you get a license to drive a car you can also drive a tractor and you can figure that out if you know how to drive he goes you know you can drive a truck you can drive a race car you might crash that race car but it's the same basic principles he goes i think that with that's true with filmmaking it's a totally different ball game. There are things I could have never prepared myself for, and it was a huge jump in a lot of ways. But the core fundamentals of what you have to do are there. So I, I appreciate that approach and philosophy. And he's also quick to note out, and this is something that if you're fans of Anatomy of a Movie, and I've talked about this a lot, is that studios today are very prone to give the keys to the car of an indie uh, of an indie director. Jurassic World mm. uh, is, is a great... Yeah, Trevorrow, mm. who... He had one movie, Safety Not Guaranteed. Uh, Gareth Edwards, uh, who did Monsters, uh, and then goes on to do uh, Godzilla, and then he does Rogue One. Um, more and more that's happening in Hollywood and he he gets that he sees that and even in his career and and he respects that that's happening and you know he's like yeah he even, he even points out the same people um it's a serious point but you're giving these these talented people who can tell stories and that's the difference they know how to tell stories but they can probably get them for cheaper um, maybe a little bit, you know, the, the studio system, although Jordan says he didn't, you know, he said he didn't, uh, uh, he stayed true to his form and, this, you know, he didn't let the studio butt heads with him. But I'm sure the studio had some control over what was going on. But I understand you can pay him a little less. Maybe they have a back end deal or something. But again, coming from Indie Roots, being handed the keys to a car, to a yep. potentially franchise does a good job. I think he did great. Right? Um, what, what was also interesting and that also goes along with the um, cinematography was also the VFX. <sighs> and the, I mean, we had so many visual effects in this um, movie, which I thought Kong himself was fantastic to watch. And we had ILM, you know, Industrial Light. I mean, um, the best. Industrial, I mean, Industrial Light amazing. Magic is incredible. They're, yeah. they're literally <laughs> amazing. Um, they, they worked on Kong for more than 18 months with the you know complex process of layer upon layer upon layer, and uh, the the interesting thing about Kong, there's a lot um, that he was like a hundred foot tall, yeah. but uh, every like every new location that they were in, they were having problems scaling him because there are some shots where he looked at two thousand feet tall, to some shots he only looked like a hundred feet tall. Right. So that was one of the issues that they had in the VFX is just like figuring out his scaling to make sure he was consistent in every location. And who uh, and mostly Kong was obviously by mocap motion capture, right. which we had Toby Cabell who also played Chapman. I really liked his character. Um, he did the facial expressions for yeah. Kong, but we actually had Terry Notary who did the body movement. So right. there were two people portraying Kong in this film, which usually yeah. that's not really the case. It's usually no. just one straight-up no. actor. Do you have information on the hair? 
Because the yeah, hair was a I big do. deal. Yeah, talk about the hair. Because yeah. I know that was a the really fur. big deal. The, the fur. <laughs> so realistic. <laughs> the fur. Awesome. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, the the fur, as I'm like going through all my <laughs> notes on the fur. But uh, the they. Fur. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot. Um, they had uh, estimated about 19 million hairs covering King uh, Kong's body. 19 million. I mean, we talk about Disney movies that have just millions upon right. millions of hair for animals, but just Kong himself had 19 million. And they couldn't get away with the hair being long and simple because we they'd lose some of this the hair according to the scale right. cues. And they had two people working on just the hair for about a year and making the curls change direction and um, continued. I mean, that's dedication. (laughs) Everything that would make it feel natural and organic. And then they developed this new technology that allowed them to put leaves and sticks and caked on mud on his hair. And then um, also the scene where he's fighting the squid, they had to make that hair look wet. Wet. That was a And that was another challenge in and of itself. Well, I think that... um, it's also one of those things where, um, yeah, like those small nuances make a huge difference, especially when you have real people and they're interacting with something that's CGI. It, it can get, if it's too, like, animated, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel real. Like, it, 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 you lose, like, that, that realistic, realistic yeah. it, it, Going yeah. back to earlier what I was saying that, that King Kong and its iterations have always represented it, has always... When you look at it through the history of cinema, it's always representative, uh, like, technology through the years of movie making. But the one thing that they've always stood true on, because they know, I mean, Kong's your title character. You have to, you have to empathize with them. So whether it's stop motion, whether it's a man in a suit uh, built with some prosthetics and whatnot, you, you know, or whether it's mocap, you have to buy into that Kong is real, that Kong too has feelings, empathy, emotions, whether it's rage, anger, but you see it when he's with Brie Larson. He's a completely different beast, so to speak, a monster. And if it doesn't work, if it looks cheesy, bye. Then you lose the magic. You lose that movie magic. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a famous quote by Dino De Laurentiis, who who produced the 1976 version. And when they get Carlo Rimbaldi, who got a special thank you at the end of that movie, he's he's an Italian, very popular producer. Um, You know, he was like, uh, he goes, at the end of a Jaws, nobody a cry when Jaws die. He goes, at Maya movie, he goes, when Maya monkey die, the people are going to cry. (laughs) <laughs> and and to an extent, he's like, yeah, you made a sympathetic character. Now I say that because it is a, a relatively popular quote, and uh, I, I paraphrase, but I, it always stuck with me that, yeah, you, you, you have to make Kong believable. And the time and the, the, the painstaking time that they put in on him, yeah. it well, works. Like, you, they made him likable, the, and uh, that's what I said. Like his introduction, he was so ferocious that you're not sure if you should be afraid of him. But throughout the film, when you had those quiet moments when he's just standing there looking at you know Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston's characters, it's like you see in the facial expression that he does have emotions and he does have feelings. And then human beings are terrible people for trying to. T- attack him and kill him you're like oh man human race just sucks yeah. so and like and you're rooting and by that 
twist you're rooting for calling at the end of yeah. the film. So, yeah, sympathetic, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's a great, you know, when you talk about scale, look at those teeth. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Like, the teeth themselves are bigger than the helicopter. Yeah. And I have to say, what a phenomenal movie poster. Just, like, oh, we, yeah. it's behind All us All of here. them have yeah. been, yeah. 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 Um, they, mean, they definitely had that visual eye for this film. The marketing in this movie was, I, I thought, oh, yeah. really on point. Yeah, I, uh, I mentioned yeah. the the press junket yeah. or the I mean the press tour being phenomenal, and I think that again the marketing materials, all of it, kind of made you excited for the movie. Like I'm, I, like Marissa, not a huge Kong person, but mm-hmm. um, like I was excited to see this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Terry Rotary. It, he's good friends with Andy Circus. Oh, well, that makes sense. Which, you know, yeah, he says, yeah, Andy and I are best buddies. We've done nine, they've actually done nine films together and counting. So it was cool. And Circus gave him his blessing to do Kong, because basically that's a passing of the torch. He, Circus, a lot was said about Circus's performance in Peter Jackson's King Kong of, the debate came, is he nominatable? um, For acting. For acting. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it was Gollum, but I know in King Kong, uh, a lot was being said about him because of the, the facial features that he gave Kong, the heart, the heart and the life that he breathed into King Kong from the motion capture. So I just think that <clears throat> it's really cool that these two guys are really best buds and that Andy Circus is like, hey, I'm handing like, the reins to you, yeah, buddy. It just shows Hollywood is a small industry and everyone knows yeah. everyone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, this town is... Smaller it's smaller than, than you think. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that no, that's cool because that totally makes sense. Uh, another cool thing was the squid that I mentioned. The squid. The squid. Um, yeah, they apparently the VFX team had a hard time because it was complicated for them animating the tentacle arms because there were points where the arms were in Kong's mouth being like ripped yeah. apart, and um, that that also messed with Kong's fur because it had to be from mouth to water to in like different, like just just different looks of the fur right. um, combined with just the squid look. Yeah, it's a lot of calamari. Yeah, a lot of calamari. Me too. Guys, make me so sad. <laughs> but, uh, Cal- but it's a really, great, but it, yeah, uh, but that was a great fight. You know, it's it and, was cool. And yeah. Like, uh, the the squid was scary too. Oh yeah, it, I mean they made a scary squid. I just didn't think of it as calamari you at just any point. Pulled it like a rope, you know. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit uh, uh, music. Uh, Henry Jackman, who's okay. uh, no stranger to working on a lot of Disney films and such, he did the music yeah. to uh, he did the music to Kong Skull Island, which I you know I thought the music was fine for the movie. It was it never overpowered and never. But it was a good monster movie score. Um, I've been listening to it uh, all morning. Um, what I find interesting with him is that, you know, I met the director and everything started with the script. And that's basically, he says, how he starts. That, that's how he gets his creative juices flowing. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that uh, Henry Jackman, for those who don't know, he worked on X-Men First Class, Captain America, Civil Wars, Monsters and Aliens. So he does. He definitely has, you know, that the big... Um, epic type of scores that he's used to but he was also trained by Hans Zimmer himself so he's basically Hans Zimmer's pupil and he gave him you know pretty much his blessing for this and um, he he used Jackman used a lot of grand symphonic sweeps and scopes um, in this film right 
And he still had to be rooted in pre like already established score, like for the Monarch group, which was established by Alexander Desplat from Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he had to still work in the reins of being something that was established, yet making it his own. And making this movie, this movie too, stands on its own. It is very separate from Godzilla. I mean, not just from, you know, Godzilla's present day and this is the 70s. This is a completely different even look of a movie. And where Gareth Edwards sort of teased us throughout all of Godzilla before we saw the monster, we meet Kong very early on, and he never overstays his welcome. Like, I never said, ugh, there's too much Kong in this movie. I always wanted more, but he was very, from pretty much the first 20 minutes, he's in the movie, and we got to see King Kong, which was pretty awesome. But that, too, makes it a very different movie than, than the Godzilla movie. I think there was balance. He I wasn't think hidden. one moment I really noticed the music was right mm. when they got the, the bow-slash-raft finally working. <laughs> They're like, all right, we're on our way. Yeah. And there was, like, those beautiful over-the-head, over you know, shots that you saw them, like, literally going up the river. That's when I noticed the music was just, like, right. upswell of... Amazingness. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought that there were really moments that the music elevated whatever emotion you were they were trying to get you to feel. Like if it was fear or like they were it pulled you in again in a similar way to the cinematography into Skull Island. I felt like the music helped you be there. And it's funny that you mentioned that too, because he was like, you know, he goes, the whole thing, Packard losing his mind. He goes, you know, there were far guitars he was using. He goes, he's going all Colonel Kurtz. It's another apocalypse now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more he loses it, the more detuned and all over the place my, my guitars come. So that, 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 that more or less impacts that. It, it brings it to the forefront. But yet it never overtakes the movie, which is good. It's a, perf- yeah. it's a really good bed for this type of movie. Well, it shouldn't it? be bigger than Kong. Yeah. What was also interesting, which I, I really enjoyed in this film, that I think they did a great job. You had the orchestral theme from Jackman, but, but right. then you also had the actual diegetic songs from the 70s. Yes. Which I thought was a nice blend. I mean, when you start the film, you're listening to 70s music. A friend of mine who saw the movie was talking with me about how uh, he was really happy that they didn't do, like, get pop stars to sing songs. Yeah, and I was like, this is a movie that you could (laughs) go that way. And it would have been tough in the seventies. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that I I just felt like this was enough. Like where they left it was the right spot. Like like you had iconic seventies music in this. Much like Apocalypse Now used as well. But yeah, that this and it felt again, it, it captured, it helped put us in the frame of mind of that time too. So and they never really they never strayed away. We never had there was never too much technology. It, it just seemed to fit at the time that we were in. And I thought that they really did a great job from production design, which the production design in this movie looked Gorgeous. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from the boat. My other favorite thing was that 3D pictogram thing of Kong. It's in the trailer, but it's also in the movie. It's like uh, when the camera moves around. Oh, yeah. yeah. I really thought that that was a really great picturesque, picturesque way to, to, to depict Kong. Um, from the wall to the makeup and the natives and, and even you don't have to dress up the jungle but they did a great job with like the sets and the helicopters and, and the uniforms and costuming they did a really good job 
You know, it, it, it felt the period. It didn't cheat the period. And they, they, they just made a good funnel popcorn movie for that period. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So um, we talked a little bit about marketing. I want to talk. Uh, we can go from mar- marketing, I thought, from trailers, from teasers to trailers to posters. As a moviegoer, I was in. I was just like, my, my, what would have disappointed me in this movie is if I didn't walk out saying I had fun and I was just like really stupid. But the marketing material actually fit the actual movie and they didn't cheat it at all. They didn't try to sell me one movie. Like what I saw, in, for me anyways, what I saw in the trailers it said, this looks like it could be a fun popcorn movie. It was a movie that I was really looking forward to see in March. And when I walked out going, at least the movie delivered. Yeah, I think the trailers and the promos definitely did that as well. And again, I say when you watch those promos and like teasers and stuff, you always see the the suspenseful shots where people are just looking around into nothingness and you don't know what's out there. And then you get the big reveal of Kong. Um, but also the teasers show that Kong is the threatening thing that everyone should be afraid of. Yeah. Again, going to my earlier points, like I. I wasn't sure if I should be afraid of Kong because the teaser told me I should be afraid of Kong. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, you know, it's interesting to note that the movie was $185 million estimated budget, um, which means that including hard drives, advertising, whatever Warner Brothers put into it, um, we're looking at Legendary. at least estimated $220 plus million. Um, it did open up worldwide. It should also be noted that Legendary also produced Godzilla. Yeah. So they have skin in the game because they have, and it's sort of kind of like their attack because they are sort of kind of turning a page from, they're taking a page out of the Marvel book of let's cleverly intertwine our worlds, even though. Godzilla, I believe, is Sony. This is Warner Brothers. But we're going to find a way to meld these. I think uh, they were saying that now both of them are going to be at Warner Brothers. I think, if so, that they can make this. Well, yeah, and sorry. Um, In September 2015, Legendary moved Kong from Universal Universal to Warner Brothers. And Legendary also has the rights to the uh, two Godzilla sequels. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's... With Warner Brothers. So it's a partnership. Yeah, and they... But they're right now, anyways. At least with, yeah. with these two monster movies, they're they seem to have a plan. They don't seem to be like the DC franchise, which is disenfranchised and seems all over the place. Mm-hmm. They seem to be setting things up in a natural way that isn't forcing things. I, I agree with you. I think everybody's kind of taking a, a page from Marvel at this yeah. point because. They're been Killing so it. successful at this. Like summer blockbusters are their territory at this point. So um, it's it's interesting to see them doing this. And then DC's kind of got it on TV, but they're still figuring out the movie side of it. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, then you know when we look at what we're box office wise. So it was number one opening weekend. Again, I've got to stress this too. Tracking again. It sucks. Um, this movie was slated to do like forty. Yeah, forty, mm-hmm. and it ends up it's opening weekend. Um, it, 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 on on three thousand, close to four thousand, but thirty eight hundred plus locations across the country, and it does sixty one million dollars. 
So did better. It did, yeah. but for the past three weeks, tracking didn't see Get Out coming. They totally underestimated. They totally underestimated Logan. They underestimated this movie, and I bet you, I guarantee you, they've underestimated uh, Beauty and the Beast as well. Beauty and the Beast but is supposed to be <clears throat> like it's awesome so, ever. So. Um, I'm really so <laughs> Yeah, we get to talk about that next week. Next week, that next week. but yeah, so, from what I understand, it's it's supposed it's, to break records yeah, this weekend so it, for a March movie, which is it, it, impressive. It's, it's been currently as of uh, as of yesterday, March sixteenth, uh, Skull Island's at eighty one million, uh, eighty one plus million. Globally, from the foreign markets, we're looking at uh, it's eighty five million globally. So that that accounts for fifty one percent of box office. Yeah. So we have a total worldwide. Global box office of 166 million so far worldwide. Wow. So Kong's doing pretty well. Yeah, and I think again it goes back to, in part, obviously the actors being willing to go on these worldwide press tour. Like obviously it's probably contractually obligated, right? But they seem happy to do it, and you see that a foreign box office sometimes you you see these things, and it's like the American box office is great because they did press here, and then. It's not so great around the world. Right. Right. But also, you already have that instilled following because you have sure. Godzilla, you point. have um, King Kong. They are international stories. China, the Asian market is huge with kaijus. Of course. I mean, and this is yeah. basically a kaiju type of In film. Sense. Absolutely. And so uh, I'm glad that the foreign market did better than domestic. Yeah. Because so, that makes sense. Yeah, and absolutely. It looks like they'll earn their money back if it keeps going at mm-hmm. any kind of rate like this. No. Oh, yeah. So um, Rotten Tomato score uh, was at 80%. I think it might have dropped down to 79%. Uh, interestingly enough, higher than Beauty and the Beast. Interesting enough. Yeah, I know. Um, and then its cinema score is a B plus, which is okay. I'll, 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 that's fine. B plus uh, seems pretty good. Now, the audience makeup, too, I, I found this interesting. Older men who made up most of uh, the audience at 39% enjoy the movie with an 80% overall positive score uh, on like post-track and things. Younger guys, 25 uh, made up 23%. Love the Tom Hiddleston, Sam Jackson, Brie Larson ensemble, even more at 88%. Uh, the total audience definitely recommend, they said, is at 60%, which is decent. Should have a... We'll see what the hold is going to be with, with, with Beauty and the Beast coming out. It's completely two different audiences. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, um, overall, men repped 62% of Kong's ticket buyers. The over 25 crowd came out at 63%, with the overall positive score at 78%. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating ver- verified it's, it goes back and forth between 79 and 80%. So people are liking the movie. I think people might be coming out pleasantly surprised that they're liking the movie and that it's a good popcorn movie. And I think it'll, you know, it'll stick around and at least build this universe so that when there's either a Godzilla, King Kong, or King Kong versus Godzilla, like, People are gonna, you know, it, it'll have a good life, shelf life on home entertainment and such. Yeah. So uh, it should do pretty well. It's definitely watchable. I mean, it doesn't have to be in a specific <clears throat> time of year to enjoy this film. Yeah, no, no, no. And I think Warner is releasing it now. Just try to get out of that summer fray. Don't have it confused. But but I like that too because it gives us it gives us bigger type movies earlier in the year. It's just spreading the wealth. Spread it out over the. We've got twelve months. Movies don't have to be released just in the summer and just in Christmas time. We've got twelve months to do it. Logan's a great example of this. I think the Captain America movies were released in March, April. 
Fast and Furious is the one that really set it off coming on yeah. new, but they seem to be they, pretty soon those movies are going to be released in January because they seem to be kicking that you know those release dates because they're so big. Beauty and the Beast released at a great time. Going into spring break, there's going to be a lot of uh, entertainment to be had for whatever your movie fix is. Um, so I, I think the release date on this, I think it's great that we get summer type of entertainment as we head into spring. So mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun. So uh, well, I think, is there anything that we haven't covered about Skull Island and, and Kong. Well, I mean, we talked <clears throat> about how they're tied, but, you know, so there were some Easter eggs to Godzilla and just so I, just to name, like, really one um, that the the director himself, he said that um, there are b- a bunch of Easter eggs. The Monona, I'm not going to pronounce that Monona. one, so I'm going to say skip that one. He said that there are Zelda Easter eggs, Akira Easter eggs, uh, Metal Gear Easter eggs. Um, Alien. He's directing, he's directing Metal Gear. Ah, uh, well, that movie. makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Alien Easter eggs. Um, there's Evangelion influences. There's Dragon Ball Z influences. Um, just the jacket of uh, the uh, John C. Riley's character had ties to in Easter eggs. There's <laughs> Easter eggs all over they, this movie. They definitely made this movie, as I said earlier, accessible to everyone. But if you were like a fanboy, fangirl of this movie, like, you could definitely find sure. things that were, like, for you in this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 Many references. And, yeah. and I appreciated that. As, as, a, as a movie fanboy, as a, as a not-your-average moviegoer, I appreciate the time and care that was taken into putting this movie together and making it within the Kong universe that's already been established, but just making it different. I really like the fact that this really isn't a reimagined King Kong. This isn't a reboot of King Kong. We're not retelling the same story of King Kong. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and how do you do that in a fresh way? And I think Godzilla, maybe even Pacific Rim, opened up the door to these kind of monster movies. And I really do like the fact that this is a standalone kind of movie you're really given a very sweet treat at the very end credits if you stay from a nice hieroglyphic type pictograph of Godzilla and the Godzilla monsters in his universe. I thought it was really cool and I was like okay so they're going to bring this legendary is going to bring it all together and mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be there. I'm going to buy my ticket So it made you, unfortunately as I said I didn't see the end credit. So it made you excited for oh, what's yeah, for, for 2020. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. Okay. And, it's coming. Yeah, yeah it, it Totally. And, and again, like I said, it, it happened... Before it happened, I'm reading... We thank Toho for allowing us to use Godzilla, Ghidra, Mothra. And I was like, where the hell were they in this movie? Like, I didn't see any... Like, And I was looking. And I was like, I didn't see... They weren't even in pictures. And I was like, well, what the hell? And then at the end, I'm like, Mothra, Ghidra... Yeah. They, oh, there they are. I go, you spoil the end for me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. But another Easter egg is uh, John Goodman. Um, they talked about this. <clears throat> they, they talk about it in the movie Godzilla, where he says, John Goodman's character says, you know, those weren't nuclear tests that we were running. We were trying to kill something. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually a line that I think Ken Watanabe's character in Godzilla says something very, very similar. And they're saying that John Goodman's character may have been on the boat 
uh, that is featured in Godzilla from those tests, like it's a sunken ship and that he's like the only survivor and hence his introduction into Monarch. So, anyways, a lot of fun stuff if you want to dive, dive and be, you know, geeky fanboy. Um, so, why don't we wrap up? Uh, why don't we? Well, we got to book our book our flight and get off of Skull Island. We'll stop with <laughs> sure. our final with our final. Maybe thoughts. not on helicopter. Definitely yeah. not on a helicopter. Don't want that. Definitely not on a helicopter. Not the best mode of transportation. Not a helicopter. <laughs> Maybe that. Riverboat. I'll t- I'll take that. Yeah, that, was fun. that seemed that seemed great. Yeah, uh, yeah everyone, you can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV, um, and you can follow me at Stephanie Wenger. And happy St. Patrick's Day, folks. You can support me on Twitter at DMovies1701. That's at DMovies1701. Stay tuned for upcoming movie uh, anatomy of a movies where we'll be talking about Beauty and the Beast, of course. Yes. Um, and then we'll have a ton of other movies going into the summer. We still have movies like Ghost in the Shell, perhaps, and. Just a plethora of fun movies that are coming out. So uh, and go back to our other ones that we've mentioned: Pacific Rim, Godzilla. Godzilla. Pacific yeah. Rim was our first first time ever yep. in three hundred plus shows. Yep. three hundred shows, folks. Um, so uh, hopefully, uh, go out, be safe if you are celebrating St. Patrick's Day, because we want you to keep on tuning into us. So enjoy, everybody. Aaron Gobra. <laughs> Producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.